Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. Father, I ask that you'd bless the reading of your word. We're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 38 through 48, these 10 verses here. You've heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Have a seat. All right. So non-retaliation, enemy love. You guys are excited about this, right, today? So, um, you know, one of the things we we're praying over there in the prayer room, and uh, I, I love you, you hear me refer to that a bunch about praying, it's because that's how we move forward, is, is in prayer and in worship. And one of the words, somebody was praying that seeds would be sown and planted that would lead to healing today. And so I just, I, that really resonated with me. There would be some seeds in this word from Jesus, and it's his word, the word from Jesus that would lead to healing and wholeness in our lives as we do this. I want to thank Graydon. Did a great job last week. Thank you, brother. And, uh, you know, he touched, I want to build on a few things he, he mentioned. Um, I'm going to say something about Rome in just a second. He just, that was kind of a throwaway comment almost. Well, not, not throwaway, but just real short mention. I love the siblingship word. I don't know where that came from, but that's a great, we're siblings together. Isn't that a great way of thinking about our brothers and sisters Together, We are a community together. This is addressed to a community of God's people. And we have to work on how to understand that a little bit because of our context and things, but we want to do that. And so we're in this series called Walking Inside the Story. And we've been looking at this all year long. The story we find ourselves in, the, those testimony messages over the summer, finding ourselves in that story. And now this, during these weeks here in the Sermon on the Mount, we're talking about the ethics how we actually live. Like, how do you live inside the story? How does the story shape you? How do you live through the lens of Jesus? And this is going to obviously be a a huge part of our living, is living through the lens of of non-retaliation and enemy love. That's a big deal. I've got a few words that I've been saying each week I want us to remember. And the first one, and it was kind of for me, but it's for us, was think like a father. 
And the way I understood the Lord speaking that to me again in a prayer meeting was think like a father and encourage the people to not be exasperated. You know, you, you, you work with your kids and sometimes you see them, they're going, oh, and we're like, we're done for now. We need to take a time out, a pause. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just like, eh, that's, that's all we've done, all we can do for this time. And so I want to just encourage us, man, let's don't be exasperated. Let's just don't throw our hands up and go, nobody can do this. But let's lean into this and be humble. That'd be the second word, be humble and be a, be a learner. You know, just have that kind, of, that kind of perspective about us. In fact, where we say, I don't have this all figured out. And, and, and I want to encourage you right now, turn to somebody right beside you and say, I don't have this all figured out. We are just, we're just speaking truth to each other right now. <laughs> Bunch of truth going on in this room. Just speaking truth. And the, the final piece there is kingdom family DNA. And so we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but this is our DNA. Like Jesus is describing, it, it is truth. It's our DNA. It's what we're called to do and be when we grow up into maturity. And that's why I'm Part of why I'm calling this growing to maturity in the Father's love. That last verse we looked at, be complete, be mature, just like your heavenly Father. So we're, we're on a trajectory of a different kind of love that's like for everybody, like the rain and the sun, you know, the sun shines on everybody, just and unjust, and the rain falls on everybody, righteous and unrighteous falls on everybody. That's how we're called to love, and that's where this is going. But we've got a few problems we have to consider, right? That's, it always helps to kind of go, what's the problem with this? Well, there's a, a couple. There's more than that, but I'm, I'm going to do three. Um, the first one is our gospel. So our gospel can be a problem uh, when we just kind of, and you guys have been around a long time, you, you know we're talking about the gospel of the kingdom, not just you believe and you go to heaven one day, but actually... God wants heaven to come here. He wants heaven to be lived out in our lives. And so we need to think about the gospel like that. Jesus and the gospel that he preached. The, the, the gospel is according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's the gospel of Jesus. It's his gospel that we want to preach. We want to preach the gospel of Jesus. And for it not to be weird to, for us to go, Jesus is the king and the Lord, declared with power through the resurrection from the dead to be the true king of the world. And so it makes sense when he comes on the scene and says, believe the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is here now. And that needs to make sense to us. You know, it's, that needs to be our gospel, that, that gospel. And it doesn't not include that he died and was rose. It certainly includes, that's the, that's the starting point. He died and was buried, was, was, was crucified for our sins and raised on the third day. But the gospel is so much more full than that one apple in the gospel of the kingdom, the bushel. We showed the picture a few weeks ago. So that's just a, a big deal. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 3. I'm just going to show you what Jesus in the early church was talking about uh, what they were talking about, he appeared in verse 3, Acts 1, verse 3. He appeared to them after the resurrection for 40 days and spoke to them about what? The kingdom of God, about the reign of God. In Acts chapter 17, verse 7, 
They're in Thessalonica, and there's all these challenges. Jason's welcomed these guys. These guys turned the world upside down, and they're all defying Caesar's decrees and saying that there's another king, somebody named Jesus. Like, that's, that's the message. And so we've got to hear that. So Paul, at the end, the last verse in Acts what does it say? Acts 28, verse 31. Two years he stayed in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. In verse 31, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So the, this gospel that we're preaching about the kingdom is a big deal. The reign has come here in Jesus and it's here now. And you can walk in it if you want to. We can walk in it if we want to. That, that kingdom is here. You can live in it. Jesus, what does he say? Follow me. It, it's never less than that. And we may interpret it as less, but it's never something less than follow Jesus. We're, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. I mean, and, and preaching the so that's why i'm hitting on the gospel this is our gospel we're disciples it would ne it's never something less than disciples right so uh you know one of the barna statistics from this real famous one is that only eight percent of people who identify themselves as christians actually have a biblical worldview and it's just six basic things believe in the bible the devil is real. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He's coming again. He's the Lord that he was raised from the dead. It's just like basic, basic. And only 8% of those who are saying they're Christians are trying to live that or believe that or walk that way. It's the biggest need, according to Dallas Willard, will Christians become disciples? And I've got this quote here from his book, The Great Omission, Reclaiming Jesus' Essential Teachings on Discipleship. And he says, The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians, whether they will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens in every corner of human existence. Amen. However long he wrote that, he died in 13, he's with the Lord, but it's still totally relevant right now. Will Christians be disciples? And so that, that is a huge thing. Part of the problem here in understanding the Sermon on the Mount is the gospel. What is our gospel? What is your gospel? What is the gospel that you're believing and proclaiming? And it has to, has to, has to, has to involve discipleship. So, I, I, think, I think that's the way Jesus preached it. <laughs> okay, y'all like, whoa, uh, that's, that's not a real shaky limb, is it? No, 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 Yeah, so, so he says, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So now go make all authority. Now go make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And surely I'm with you. To, and oh, I left something out. And teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so here we are in this time of the Sermon on the Mount. And we want to do this. You know, and for, I, I feel conviction. Sometimes I don't always 
teach everybody to obey. But I want to. It's not like I'm not trying not to. Just, but I want to do that today. So Lord, help us to obey you, to follow you. Okay? So then another obstacle problem is our questions. Our questions. So we come to the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we have questions, right? We have questions like, um, is this practical in real life? Right? Is it practical? Anybody ever, is it just me or y'all? Wow, this is really practical. Uh, what if someone's attacking my grandmother? You know, what about, what about Hitler? What if Hitler was attacking my grandmother? You know, it's like, our questions are real, you know, and my first answer to those questions is, I don't know. Okay, just being honest, I don't, I don't know all the answers to all the different scenarios, all the reasons we could come up with why our questions would rise above the words of Jesus. But it happens, and our questions kind of put us there. I, and, and so my second answer is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the truth. He's the truth. Like, he's, he is the truth. He is ultimate objective truth and so our philosophical questions about what we would do in a certain situation that that allows us to kind of be over the truth but actually Jesus is final truth and so what he's saying here is the truth it is authoritative truth for us and so you know the issue of practicality isn't brought up in the sermon on the mount like it's never brought up is it practical? Is it practical if we do this? Will it work out? Is this the right? You know, it's like Jesus is saying, this is the way it is. This is our DNA. This is the truth. And, and there is a, a bit of a safety valve. I know it's getting heavier. And the a little bit of a little pressure is relieved because the kingdom is now and it's not yet. And we have to live. We live in the tension of the now and not yet. And nobody does it. Nobody does it perfect. We're all in process, and that, that helps, but it's not, it's not a pass on trying to work with it, to deal with it, to wrestle through it, to say, Lord, what does this mean? Or say, this is the truth. This is our trajectory. This is the way we're going, even when we can't see how it's all going to work out. We want to obey what you're saying, Lord. Tracking? Okay. So then, so we got... Our gospel can be a problem, our, our questions can be a problem, and our location can be a problem. So what I mean by that, our location is where we're at in history. What is our worldview? How do we, and this gets back to something, you know, Graydon was saying the other day, last week, was that we, it's probably easier for us to identify with Rome than it is with the marginalized people that Jesus would have been speaking to and that Matthew would have been writing his gospel to, the Jewish believers, Christians, that he would have been writing to. So I want to tease that out a bit by talking about where we're at now in 2022 to 2022. That was weird. How do you, whatever, how you say it? In the, in the year that we're in right now, uh, um, you know, and we're in a bit more of an empire situation, Right? just the strongest world power economy 
entertainment industry, influence. I, I know those things can be argued and pushed back on, but you know, it's, it's a, you know, we're kind of at the center versus the margin. So Larry Hurtado is a real famous uh, first century scholar. He wrote this book called the, the Destroyer of the Gods. And his thesis was that it wasn't the church's relatability to culture that made it so compelling, but it was its distinction from the culture in the first century milieu, in the environment uh, there. And so, uh, so the first, and, and if you look at these five things, we've gone through this before, but, the, but some of these, a couple of them, are what would be more politically left, and a couple of them more politically right, and then one of them nobody wants to touch at all, not really in a meaningful way. But these are the five features that stand out against empire. The church was multiracial and multi-ethnic with a high value for diversity, e equity, and inclusion, right? So it's just, you, you can hear, it's just like, yeah, it totally makes sense. The church was spread out across socioeconomic lines as well. There was a high value for caring for the poor, and those with extra were expected to share with those who had less. It was staunch in its active resistance to infanticide and abortion, and it was resolute in its vision of marriage and sexuality as between one man and one woman for life. And then finally, it was nonviolent, both on a personal and political level. So let me keep walking through the, the history then. So for the first three centuries, think of the church more on the margins. That, that's where the church is going to be, more on the margin, not, that, not at the center of power. And you're not going to have a bunch of Christians in the army at the time because those were the guys that were persecuting the Christians. So the church is historically known to be, first three centuries, nonviolent. Nonviolent. So... Uh, so on the margin, but something, I'm just mention something that just radically changed in about 160 and 260. There were two different plagues that hit the empire. Well, they think it was uh, maybe smallpox and the measles for the first time and just unbelievable death rates. And what would happen was the pagans, and I got some of this from the rise of uh, Rodney Stark's Rise of Christianity, how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. And long title. But, uh, but so you got this massive plague in 160, and the pagans are leaving their sick on the streets and fleeing town, just getting out of Dodge. And so then Christians are staying behind because of their love ethic to serve the poor, to serve the sick, to serve those who were dying. And so what happened in that time was, and the same thing happened again in 260, maybe it's the measles, but it wipes out like a third of the empire. And what happens was Christian numbers go up radically. Well, they're, they're evangelizing, yes, but that's not the whole story. Part of the story is they're getting immunized from the diseases they were serving and their numbers are going up. And then the people that are losing all kinds of family members, family is part one of the main reasons why people can't make a step into following Jesus. There's family resistance. But those people are dying. So now people are becoming Christians in droves. You tracking on how that, that happens. And so the percentage went up radically. And so when Constantine comes along, a lot of times people say it's because of Constantine that the empire became Christian. No, it was already happening. Constantine is a late adopter, if that makes sense. 
And so he has a vision, the Battle of Milvian Bridge, and sees a sign of a cross, and in this sign you'll win. And on the tail end of that, and he wins the battle, and then three or four months later, in early three, uh, in 313, it's the Edict of Milan declaring religious freedom over the Roman Empire. So again, what I'm doing is telling the story of how did we go from the margin to the center? By tracking on that? So, so then a few years later in 380, February 380 AD, the emperor Theodosius declares Christianity to be the formal religion of the Roman Empire. And so then now it's just a few years after that, by 416, the empire required all of its soldiers to be Christians. Wow. So we've gone from the margin to the center to you have to be a Christian in order to fight in the army. It's interesting, isn't it? So then roll the clock forward a thousand years. And in the early part of the Reformation, you get this group and they're called the radical reformers, the Anabaptists. Anabaptist means rebaptizers. And so what had happened is from that, the previous thousand years, the church and the state were one basically one. To be baptized as a baby, you're baptized into the church, but you're then also baptized into the state because the state and the church are working hand in hand. Does that make sense? So then what does it mean when somebody comes along and they start, these young people start reading the scriptures because now there's starting to be some scripture copies getting out there and they're reading the scriptures, they're reading the Sermon on the Mount and they're saying, no, our first allegiance needs to be to Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, and we want to be baptized into his name and declared followers of him, radical attachment to Jesus. What's the problem? Well, the problem is then you're saying you're loyal first to Jesus and not to the state. So the state was persecuting them as traitors. Like literally, it's illegal to be baptized again. And so the state's pursuing them as traitors, and the church is pursuing them as heretics. And everybody's killing the Anabaptists. Like by the thousands, the Anabaptists died, and they were burned at the stake, they were tied and quartered, they were... Uh, the, the, all different kinds of stuff. One of the most, most popular ways of killing Anabaptists was to drown them. You know, kind of, a, you want to be baptized. And so the point here is that Jesus is Lord and not the state. But okay? Kind of quiet. Y'all thinking, is that right? That sound right? It's right. It's the truth. That's, that's how a lot of people died early on was saying I will not say that Caesar is Lord Jesus is Lord and so we come together and we read the scriptures together in community in the power of the spirit and we wrestle with the places where we might have missed the point have we missed it on this do we need a correction here do we need an adjustment do we need to you know realign to true north here and we help each other wake up and realize that we are not in a neutral space. We're, we're not in neutral space in Fort Worth. We're not in neutral space in the United States of America. Like the powers are really at work. 
And the powers, it just the powers and spiritual principalities, they work in line with all of our fallen choices and just the ways that we sin and stuff. And then the powers work to make that normalized in a world system. And like, this is just the way it is. Prejudice, pain, it's just the way it is. The way our government is, all, all that kind of stuff, it just makes it normal. And in the system, then, you come up against the words of Jesus. In the system of the world, it's normal to retaliate, right? It's normal to do revenge. It's normal to hate your enemies. It's normal to do anything but love them, right? So, um, you know, just just huge. I I remember uh, years ago, sometime probably after 9-11, but I I just, I didn't grow up with bunch of wars, you know, and, and I just remember thinking, somewhere in there I started thinking, but I've got, my brothers and sisters are over there. Like, our family, our families in Iraq, and in Iran, and in Saudi Arabia, and in China, and in North Korea, and in, you know, just pick a place where it's like tents, and we're supposed to, you know, buy into not loving them, Right? And so just, it was, like, it was like a breakthrough. Jesus has something more for us than the greatest hits of the world powers. So here's the thing. Jesus, the main thing, Jesus is calling us to live in the kingdom family and grow up to maturity in the Father's love. So what I'm going to describe here now, that was, that was the introduction. Uh, um, and... Uh, was, is uh, two, two vicious cycles and the way out. So Jesus, there, we get into these cycles, but Jesus got a way out. Yeah. It's been this way, and it's just been a mess, but I've got a way for you to get out of that. And the first one is this, retaliation, the cycle of retaliation, and the peacemaking response. That's the way out. There's a peacemaking response that Jesus has given us in that paragraph. So go ahead and flash that first. We, we did this last week. And uh, we did it with a white background, so this is better on you. <laughs> You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And, but I say to you, if, if not to retaliate by evil means. So even that's, it says, don't re- retaliate. How does, it, how does he say it in the NIV? It says, don't resist an evil person. And, you know, a lot of scholars will say, don't resist with evil means. It's not non-resistance. And I, we need to hear that. Like, it's not, you're just a doormat. That's not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other. And if they sue you, take your coat, give them, give them the cloak as well. It forces you to go a mile, go the second mile. Give to the one who begs, do not refuse uh, one who would borrow from you. So, the, the, like, where we are tempted, where the world system, let, let me make this clear. I've got an illust- another illustration here from Clarence Jordan, and we in, we've introduced him. I, did you talk about him last week? I, I, I know I did the week before. So, Koinonia Farms, 1942, an Acts 2 experiment bringing ethnicities together in Amer- outside of America's Georgia, not like a really, you know, place you would think that would be happening, but they did it. And Jordan talks about uh, growing up to maturity. And that's kind of where I got the idea for this today is um, I just 
had somebody say that they would agree to be a speaker at World Mandate. Just hit my deal there. I usually turn that off, but that's awesome. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Kim's going, can you not filter that stuff? You just see it. You don't have to say it. Um, so Clarence Jordan, and so think about these steps. This is like we're growing up to maturity in the Father's love. The first step is unlimited retaliation. That is absolute chaos and bedlam. That's you kill somebody and then we go kill 10 people. You kill 10 people, we go kill 1,000. You kill 1,000, we kill 20,000, 50,000, 900,000. Just out of control. Unlimited retaliation. Second step is limited retaliation. That's what you've got in the Old Testament. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And the cool thing is, I mean, in the scope of bedlam, chaos, and worldwide death, is at least it's limited. You know, it's, it's eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. It's, it's just, there's a limitation to it. Then the next step, and we're talking about that here, is limited love. That's where we love those who love us. Our tribe, our people, our family, our nation. But it's going toward unlimited love. The Father's love. Love for enemies. Love like the cross of Jesus. Like the incarnation that takes us all on deals with us the love of the overflowing triune god of grace amen so uh, let me just move on just resistance is happening but it looks different again i just want to hit that we're not a doormat thing so if somebody slaps you the way a slap would work is backhanded means you're beneath me backhanded and so offering another cheek means to it's like i'm resisting you by offering you my other cheek that you have to hit and as a person as somebody who's equal with you. Not your, I'm not beneath you, I'm equal with you. I know that's painful, but when you see that kind of stuff happening, happening, a bully beating up on somebody who thinks somebody else is beneath them, then it raises your awareness and you go, that's not right. Like, it's not right. It's, it's, it's not right. And so uh, Walter Wink, in talking about non-retaliation, says this is... Part of how we do that is do it with dignity. So when you give your cloak to somebody, like the law would say, you can't take the, their second cloak because then you'd be naked. But if you're naked, it exposes the diabolical nature of that person who's asking for all you've got, right? So I think one of the best illustrations of this is thinking about the Birmingham uh, with Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. King. Um, just the resistance that was going on in Birmingham, but then the, the police come out with, with uh, yeah, water hoses, man, and just, it was there on TV, and it was just visual for everybody to see, and it was one of the turning points because people could see they're not reacting, they're not retaliating with violence, but are absorbing, and that's part of what the way of the cross is. It's absorbing pain on behalf of others. Um, so, uh, resistance then confronts, and I, say, I, I think there's idols involved in that stuff, idols of, of self, I'm over you, or idols of materialism, I want to take things from you, or idols, uh, d just it exposes something in us where we are called to love our enemies and not just put other uh, nations down. I think, this is my thesis, is that we don't often recognize our own idols. Like, I remember years ago when I, this really became clear to me was I was in Thailand and I, the people, there's 
Buddha's all over the place, idols on the street, people bowing down and burning incense and doing prayers and head down to the ground. And I just remember thinking, that's an idol. That's, that's an idol. That's nothing. That's an idol. They, they shouldn't do, you know. And so then I'm flying back on the plane and I'm asking myself, well, I can see there are idols. Maybe there's idols here in America that I can't, because it can't be just the poor ties that are dealing with the fall, and we've got it all together. So I was like, what are our idols? What are the ones I don't see? You know, and that was really helpful. It was like a breakthrough. Like, yeah, we've got idols, you know, and so Lord, help us. Help us on this. You know, uh, part of... Uh, Somebody was saying just the other day that, that uh, was referring to Howard Thurman pointing out that part of the peacemaking process is that we have to humanize those who are hurting us. They're humans, they're people. And whether that's our family or it's more just kind of general out there or it's big, huge ideas that we just kind of do a general label on, like terrorism. Like, well, that's somewhere in under there, there's people right? And um, Lord, help us. You know, we're 21 years into a war on terror. I, you know, it's, it's hard. I, when's it going to end? I don't know. Um, not in the notes, just random kind of thought there. Maybe not so random. The response is active. To turn the other cheek to, to give the cloak, to give to the one who asks, and that's the transformation. That's the Lord is calling us. And I, even that word we started with about seeds of healing, like part of if I, depending on where I'm at in this journey, have you ever been slapped? Like, like ouch, like that hurts. And then to turn it and to receive it again. And I, there's people in here that have, have had that happen. I've had it happen. Not, maybe not physically, but just, just like, slapped in the face, you know, and how do I respond in that moment, and do I stay tender to the Lord, and what he has, and how to respond humbly to that person, or forgive, or not let there be offense there in my heart, right, so uh, Lord, help us, you know, it, it's, uh, it, and it's not even just that it's hard, it's strange, this is the way that we're to go, but it's strange to us sometimes, right, um, so then the second vicious cycle in the way out is only loving those who love you and the Father's unconditional love. The Father's unconditional love. So again, the slide there is that um, you know, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. And basically, Jesus is describing this as a cycle. The cycle is if you only love those who love you, if you only greet those who are like you, if you don't just, you know, you're doing basically what everybody else is doing, we're called to something more than that, which is the Father's love for people. To grow up, to maturity, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us so that we'll be sons and daughters, siblings together in community and wrestling through this, trying to, Lord, help us to figure this out. Help us to walk this out. The cycle, loving those who love me versus loving with the Father's unconditional love. So let's, let's think, unconditional, 
Well, that's, that's a hard one to get, a, get into our heads, right? And so we have to look to Jesus to understand the unconditional love. And so who did Jesus unite himself to in the incarnation? Humanity. Not just men, not just Middle Eastern men, not just the United States citizens, right? It's everybody. And so who did Jesus die for on the cross? If he's, if he's, if he's become one in being with us, then who did he die, when he die, die for when he died on the cross? It's for all of us, you know? So, so that's, that's how God loves, and that's how he defines love, is that downward mo movement from eternity of God into our humanity to deal with us, to make things right. And uh, so then who is my enemy becomes a really important question. Who is my enemy in a Jesus framework, in a Jesus lens of the incarnation and the atonement? Who is my enemy? And then am I an enemy to, to someone else? And these are all just someone's people that we're to love. There are people that we're to love. Uh, yeah, just, I, I already said that earlier, but just think about the family of God around the world. The more broadly we get exposed and we see that there are radical, on fire, Jesus-loving women leading the church in Iran, you know, just the, most, the fastest growing part of the body of Christ in the world is in Iran. Afghanistan, I think it's two now, just it's taken off, you know, and it's, it's beautiful. And um, there are brothers and sisters, and they are uh, people that we're to love, um, according to Jesus. Uh, so that's, that's where this kingdom is going. It's going toward uh, us loving with the Father's love. And how unconditional is that? It's like the sun. <laughs> you know, it shines on everybody, no matter who you are. And it's like the rain. It falls on everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. And, you know, just even the idea that we could condition the Father's love just is so mind-boggling to me. Like, what you do is going to condition whether the Father loves you or not. He loves you. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. Praise the Lord, like the sun and the rain. So how do we land this? <laughs> I think it's strange, but we're disciples of Jesus. I think it's strange sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. And we want the words of Jesus to be authoritative in our lives. And we can wrestle with it. We can work it through with friends and community, but we can't just go, it doesn't exist. I'm, I'm putting over here, it doesn't exist. And it, it is something to really wrestle through when you're at the center of power and not marginalized. And we get marginalized in different ways, but I'm, really I'm talking about, you know, just the big, the big situation that we're in right now. We're, in, we're at the center of power. Um, so Lord, help us to do that. We can't just write it off. We can't act like it's not there. Um, we, lean, we lean in and learn, what, what are my idols? What are my tendencies to put in place and over and above Jesus' words? Jesus, you know. 
Uh, one of the things we were talking about the other day in our sermon planning time, Jim, I don't see here today, is uh, was saying he's gotten in this group with refugees, and he said it's being with people that are different than him is helping him to see things from a different perspective. And, you know, you look around, there's, there's no two people in this room that are the same. And although we may have some cultural backgrounds, I think we, we got to be with people that aren't just exactly like us in order to learn different perspectives. Um, you know, one of the, I, I've been influenced by learning from female theologians. Like, I wouldn't have thought of that. I, I didn't see that coming. Or African-American theologians, you know, just... That's a different perspective than I would have thought in my context. So that's really important. So one of the things Jim was talking about was with these refugees, like there's an illegal immigrant there, but she was telling her story about how she was under fear for her life and her children in the country that she was in. She's illegal here, but she's facing death there. You know, he said it just changed some of his perspective. You know, it's good. Or he's got some Sudanese in there as well, and they're expressing hatred toward the religious group that had persecuted them within, you know, a hair's breadth of their, their life. And so they're wrestling through, how do I not hate that group? You know, but that's, that, you know, that kind of persecution, it's maybe something to work through and a perspective that we need to think through. Does that make sense, y'all? So what does it look like for us to practice peacemaking in this way? Just asking the questions. What does it look like for us to grow to maturity in the Father's love? You know, and you know, I, I can think of I can think of times, you know, when it's like, oh my gosh, is this really happening? You know, where it's it's like a slap, and how do I respond? How do I go low? How do I how do I take the low road in this situation? And um, you know, and you know, there's there's times you know, where we'll talk, be talking about it, and Kim's like, I don't know how you always do that. And I, it's the grace of God. If I went low with you sometime, praise the Lord, you know. Um, it's the grace of God. But that's what we're, you know. And I think, you know, even today, I'm not trying to fix everything on this Sunday morning. I am, though, wanting to nudge the ship a little bit. If it, need, if it can be nudged in your life, it's just a little more of a trajectory toward non-retaliation, non-revenge, enemy love is going to be a good thing for us over the long haul. If we'll keep having this conversation and not, it doesn't, doesn't just go away, it's there and we're disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is truth. This is our destiny. This is what it's going to look like. And we, bottom line, we all have a sphere of influence. Every single one of us. There's, we have a, there's a place where we have a say-so. And in that place where we have a say-so, can we just Say, Lord, I want your kingdom to come where I have a say-so. I want your reign to be expressed where, where I can have something to say about that or do, do something about that. I may not be able to change geo-international political politics, but I can let the reign of Jesus flow in and through me. And we can let the reign of Jesus flow in and through us as a community, as life groups, and together. Jesus in his, in his way. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm done. But just, I, I, uh, I don't know how to end it. Just, uh, I think part of it is where we need healing for what's happened in the past, hard things, then, man, let's get healing so we can move forward. 
and, and where we need to have a resistant, the right spirit, not, it's opposite spirit, not the same spirit. Um, I don't know, this is such a rinky-dink example. But do, I don't know, just do, do drivers seem like they're getting more aggressive on the road lately? And, and I just, so you, I'm doing the stop sign deal by our house the other day, and you, you stand there, and it's this awkward thing, and I just, I usually just go, you know, just to stop the awkwardness, you know, but I didn't, and so I pulled out, and they pulled out, and we came, you know, we're like feet from each other, just, and they, they're staying like two feet behind, and I just like, you know, opposite spirit, and I just pulled over, and like, you must need to get there faster than I do, and I'm, I'm gracious about it, that's, a, I don't know if that's a good example, but, but take, it's a good start, <laughs> but it helps us though, like, okay, so are we going to go low opposite spirit? Are we going to just tit for tat? You did this. I'm going to do it back. And Jesus has a different way for us. There's a, there's another way. There's a third way. That's not just, they did something, you do it back. So, um, and, and I think too, where we need uh, healing about some of these things so that we can love with the father's love. Um, yeah. Go ahead and stand up. Uh, worship team, come. Uh, prayer team, come on up as well. If you're praying for people. I, I think there's something, this is one of those messages where like, wow, we, we all, there's something for all of us, right? Um, places where you're challenged to love, tempted to react, get someone back. I just want to say there's grace to respond in the spirit. And let's get prayer about that stuff, that we would be peacemakers in these different places. Maybe you've, you would say you've got an enemy. And the weird thing is, some of these, 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 these situations can actually be close to us, like really close, where it matters. Family member, somebody we work with, some of that kind of stuff. And so, Lord, would you just release healing in the room? Lord, would you release grace where it needs to, where there does need to be resistance, but it's the opposite spirit. It's not responding to violence with violence. Um, and where we have enemies, Lord, that we would love them. Lord, that where, where we need to see the body of Christ in the big worldwide church, we would see the body of Christ, that we would not be co-opted by, by some other story that's not your story. Help us in that, Lord. And that even beyond our family around the world, Lord, that we'd see that everybody else is our neighbor, <laughs> just other people that we're to love and to share good news with about Jesus. Lord, and I'm just, just praying for mercy, Lord, in our hearts. Lord, stop. Just help us where we're tempted to just be exasperated and say we can't do it, so we're not going to try. Lord, I think that word is for right here and right now. Help us, Lord, in the power of your spirit. And I, the last thing I'm going to just say before we just come is, is if you need to receive the Father's love, I think that's probably the biggest part of, of being able to give it is that you know that you've got it. And so if you need prayer about that as well, whatever your need is, come. Let's press into the Lord. We'll take a few minutes. Go for it. We love you, Lord. We need you. We need you, living God. We need you, Father.
Yeah, amen. Be bold on this. Get prayer. Let's change the world in these prayers and the way that God would answer these prayers. In the name of Jesus. Let the love of the kingdom of God, our family DNA, break in, break out, in and through us, Lord. Help us to grow up to maturity in your love, Father. Jesus, the power of the Spirit.